Good morning. Uh, I want to extend welcome to you as well. Uh, my name is Darwin Jordan, pastor on staff here as well, and we're glad you're with us, and we look uh, to this special time that we have uh, to bring glory to God, not only in our prayers and our praises, but to bring glory to God as we hear his word and we seek to conform to his ways. We believe his promises, and we live out of his hope that he gives us. So as we come to this phrase, hallowed be thy name, uh, in the Lord's Prayer, it's actually the first petition. Let's pray that God would uh, teach us this morning. Lord, we thank you for this teaching of Christ to help us understand how to pray and what to pray. We, Lord, ask for a heart of prayer. We ask for the faith of prayer, the expectant heart of prayer, the the hope of prayer, the comfort of prayer, the encouragement of prayer, the diligence in prayer, a passion for prayer, joy in prayer. Lord, we pray, make us a praying people. Give us, Lord, an energy uh, for prayer. Renew our hearts. Give us hearts that want communion with you, that anticipate communion with you, that are excited to get back to communion with you in prayer. And then, Lord, that we'll be those people who uh, have a background of dependence on you and joy in you that permeates our days. Oh, Lord, give us grace. We will be a people in constant communion, joyful, rich communion with the God who made us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, these past two weeks, we've dealt with the beginning address to God. Our Father, who art in heaven. Excuse me. So, this really challenges us. How do we think about God? What do we think about God? And really... What do we believe about God? Who is this God to whom we pray? He is our Father who art in heaven. In heaven, we saw that he's exalted above all power on the earth. He's unhindered by any power on earth. In fact, his sovereign presence pervades the earth and brings all things to its final conclusion. As Paul says, he's able to do exceedingly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. And when Mary wondered how she, as a virgin, could be giving birth to a child, the angel said to her, nothing will be impossible to God. And that's what our Father in heaven says to us. Nothing is impossible for our God. And on top of that, he is our father. Jesus said, if you being evil, here's the contrast, if you being evil, not the nicest thing to say of us fathers, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven, understood to be the perfect God of perfect generosity, how much more will he give good things to those that ask? And Paul would add, he gave his only son for us. He will not withhold anything 
from us. He will not hold back. He never holds anything back that would be ultimately good for us. So we pray to him, our Father in heaven. We pray to the one who's willing. He's our Father and he's able. He's in heaven. But what do we pray for? It's encouraging to know that Jesus tells us the very paths along which our prayers should run in this uh, prayer. There are two parts. The first half focuses on God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. Second half focuses on our physical needs, our need of forgiveness, and our responsibility to forgive. You might call that relationships. It is a general heading. And then our warfare. So our needs, our relationships, our warfare. But we're going to talk about this first petition, but I, I want to talk about just briefly the relationship of these first three petitions. I think this is important. Let me put it this way. When God's beauty is revealed in Christ, that is his name, okay? When his beauty is revealed in Christ... People give their lives up to his lordship, that's his kingdom, and they begin to do, and they long to do his will, his will. There's a connection between them, see. Let me put it a different way. When people recognize the beauty, glory, and wonder of who God is and what he has done in Christ, this is the hallowing of his name, They receive his gracious reign into their lives, his kingdom, and become a part of his mission on this earth. That's his kingdom. And therefore, they give up their lives to do his will. So we give up our lives because we've become a part of his kingdom because we've seen his name. Okay, So these are not separated out. They can be grouped beautifully together. So we start here, though, with the name of God. The name uh, is, you might say, a shining out of all that God is and all that he does, a shining forth of who God is. Name has the idea of unveiling or revealing all that God is and all that God does. It's really to say, may you be hallowed. Because name is synonymous with the person. It's really the name expresses the full beauty of of God uh, made known to us. And hallowed, though, if as long as as long as I spoke the Lord's Prayer as a kid, I didn't know for a long time what this means, even though I prayed it every every uh, Sunday. Hallowed. What does hallowed mean? And actually, it's rarely ever used in the New Testament. One time in First Peter to even refer to hallowing God. So it's a singular use of it, and probably represents something a little bit larger. But literally, it means sanctify your name. It is the word that's used again and again of God sanctifying us, making us holy. Of course, we don't make God holy, so it it has that. Uh, aspect of Lord God, set yourself apart, exalt yourself, glorify yourself is a good way to put it. 
May more and more people recognize you, be in awe of you, love you, exalt and adore you. That's what we're praying for. And I've put it this way, this title, Go for Happy, Live to the Glory of God. Live to Glorify God. That is the happiest, most abundant, richest, fullest, most satisfying life you and I could ever hope to live because we're made to enjoy God in this way. We're made to live for His glory. So, Go for happy. Live to, the, uh, live to glorify God. First, glorify Him through adoration. And before I get to that, let's just remember that the whole of creation is pointed in this direction. And the whole final purpose of creation is to glorify God. God states in Numbers 14, As I live and as all, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. This is God's final purpose. So let's get on the boat, right? This is where all of creation is headed. And the new creation will be full and rich and magnificent in the glory that we are able to give to God. The sheer joy and excitement of of being with God. So the glory of God is the whole focus of creation. So we glorify his name through adoration. One writer says, you know, everyone doesn't have the skill to play an instrument. And in that sense, only those who come to know Christ have the capacity to praise God's name and delight in him, to delight in his goodness. And brothers and sisters, this is it's like the most glorious thing God has done for you. Even, in, in fact, the forgiveness of sins and our justification, our being accepted through the work of Jesus is to the end that we could enjoy him. That's his real purpose. Is so that having wrath taken away and favor that we are admitted into the holy place to delight in this God. This is, this is salvation. In, in fact, that's what Jesus says, eternal life is to know God and his son. This is life. This is our satisfaction. It's the meaning of our lives as human beings being restored to God, our very humanity being restored. I love how our praise is described, and it uses this word that's actually found in the Song of Solomon. Nothing PG-13 here. But um, it begins in chapter 1. The bride is saying, Young women of Jerusalem... I am dark and lovely. That word lovely. I am dark and lovely like Solomon's curtains. Another translation has it, and I like this. I am black and beautiful. I am black and beautiful. And then later, uh, he's talking to her, and he says, Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. And later, your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Seeing the beauty of this woman, right? And so we have this. Psalm 33, verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. See? 
It's fitting. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to our souls. It's beautiful to this world. It's beautiful to one another. It's beautiful to God. It's right and good to sing his praise. We glorify his name through this adoration. Psalm 147.1 says, Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and lovely. There's that word again. To praise him. And by God's grace, this can be us. This may seem a little foreign. It may be more convicting than encouraging. I don't feel that way about praise. But this is where God wants to take us. This is what God wants to be in our hearts. That we're literally saying, how good it is to praise you. How good it is to be in your presence. So our glory, you see, as human beings is that we're made like God and we're made for God and we get to see God, get to recognize God. That is, that is the most amazing privilege of our being in his image is that we can be in relationship to him and delight in him. And there are three things just to mention here uh, that you can kind of follow the course of these things to to chart your praises to God, your adoration that gives him glory. One, obviously, is the creation itself, right? We could talk for hours and hours and days and months and years about the intricacies and complexities and the beauties of creation. Psalm 19, one says the heavens declare the glory of God. They're declaring it. Who saw the blue sky today? Hmm? Few. <laughs> It was there. It was declaring the beauty of God and that particular aspect of the spectrum of light that breaks everything else and only lets blue come through. Oh, there it is. Look at it. Or a few days ago, there's this sheet of gray silver clouds rippling like, like a, a field upside down covered with gray snow. It was magnificent. We get to enjoy this God and his creation. At the end of Psalm 104, which go to it, read it, use it for prayer. It, the whole thing from beginning to end is an exaltation of God's creation. And he gets to the end and he says, you just hear him bursting forth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. I'll sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Just so taken up with what God does in creation. I'm, I'm saying to you, don't ignore your happiness. It's like asking you, eat your chocolate ice cream, right? This is your happiness. Go for happy. Open your eyes to the beauty of God in his creation. Read a few books about it, or at least a chapter about it, or a page about some aspect of his creation, and use it to delight in God. Of course, the redemption that we have in Christ, you see that refrain in Ephesians 1 as he's talking about how God chose us, and he adopted us, and he forgives us, and he's given us inheritance, and he says, all of this is to the praise of his glory. Look how glorious he is. He he chose us. Look how glorious he is. He forgave us. Look how glorious he is. He adopted us. Look how glorious he is. He gives us an inheritance. 
Oh, the glory of this God, the beauty, the sheer beauty of his goodness to us in Christ. And of course, his providence, thanking him for all that comes to us in our culture, all the provision, all the comforts, uh, the, the, the work opportunities, the relationships we have. <clears throat> our problem, if we really dive into this pool, is where do you cut it off? You know? You ever had those conversations with somebody and you're just talking, 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 but somebody has to leave after an hour and a half and you think, oh, I wish we could just keep on talking here. May God give us that kind of richness in prayer where we kind of lose ourselves, you know, lose ourselves in the praise of God for his creation and redemption and providence. So Psalm 50 verse 23 says, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. And so we thank him for all that he's done in his uh, providence. Um, And of course, the focal point of our adoration, we'll get to this more at the end, is Christ himself. And Paul describes uh, the people of God in Philippians 3. He says, we are the circumcision. That is, we're the true people of God. We're the true Jews now. We're the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. So the focal point of God's glory for us is Jesus Christ, who created all things, who rules the world at the right hand of God and brings all providence to us, and who redeems us. So Jesus can be focused on whether you're talking about creation, redemption, or providence, because he is the one through whom God reveals his glory. But we glorify his name through faith as well, not only through adoration, but through faith. Let me read to you what Paul writes in Romans 4 about Abraham, who was told that he would be the father of many nations, but things have really gone on for years. He and Sarah way past time where they can even have children. And it says this in Romans 4, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. What glory Some writers say, this is the greatest glory you can give to God, to trust him, to entrust yourself to him, to entrust your future to him, to trust him in the midst of terrible circumstances and difficulties, to trust him when tragedy strikes, to trust him in disappointment and downturns in your life, to give him glory, to say, I know who you are. You've loved me in Christ, and I am putting my faith in you. And I'm counting on your promises. Even though time and again I failed here. Lord, I'm trusting myself and trusting myself to you. Convinced you're able to do, you're willing to do what you've promised. So may we give that kind of glory to God. Not only individually, but as a church. Been through some difficulties, right? We're going through a transition. 
in the next two years looking for a new senior pastor. Wonderful time not to waver in unbelief, but to trust God, to, to believe his promises that he means to bless his church and will overcome all obstacles to bring his blessing to us. Notice these, uh, these statements in Psalm that, Psalms that have to do with the same thing. You'll call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. See? Faith, dependence, and deliverance and glory. Psalm 79, help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name deliver us. And this is what's so encouraging about believing him Brothers and sisters, his glory is at stake in a sense, right? His glory is the God who does hear prayer, the God who does fulfill his promises to redeem us and grow us in grace and transform us into the image of Christ and use us in this world to shine forth the light of Christ. This probably encourages me more than anything else in prayer is that Lord you are acting for your glory to do me good. It's like, I mean this in a holy way, and I mean this in a submissive way, but I, I sometimes kind of think, Lord, I've got you there. <laughs> Not that I, I mean, I'm broken, humble, helpless, but I'm just saying, you've put that promise out here, and you've gone out on a limb, so to speak, and your glory is at stake because you promised these things. Praise be to God that he does that, that he so promises himself to us and that we can count on that, that he will act for our good because he's acting at the same time for his glory. And then finally, we glorify his name through love. We glorify his name through adoration and through faith and then through love. I want you to think just a little bit about the way the world could have gone or the way God could have made the world. Just suppose God made the world where there was no sin ever entered the world. And I'll be honest, there have been times where I've cried out to God and wondered why you didn't do that, right? I've struggled with that a lot, as I've said before, but God's comforted me in it and helped me in it. But you think of how in that setting, how much his name would have been known and it would have been recognized in a perfect way in terms of creation. And he would have been, it would have been undiluted in its honor and praise, at least as this earth goes. But what would have been missing? The love of God shown to sinners. In fact, we see creation, the whole of creation, had this central object, because before the foundation of the world, God had planned this, to enter the world, to take on flesh, to bear our sin. This is the pinpoint, the way God most wanted to reveal himself in this creation. He could have revealed a lot of his glory in terms of the creation itself. But this is the focal point of how he wanted to unveil himself to us. He created the world... With this central purpose in mind to reveal his other-centeredness, his self-forgetful love. 
I think that's why God created the world. To reveal the infinite extent, the mind-boggling nature of his love, even for sinners. As Paul begins to grapple with that in Romans 5, saying, yeah, we may love somebody good, but God shows his love in it while we were sinners. Christ died for us. How would that love have been revealed otherwise? This is the, this is the point of creation, to show his sacrificial love through his son. And that's why in Isaiah 40, when it's predicting the coming of Messiah, it says, what? The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. In Christ, the glory of the Lord is revealed. That's why the angels in Luke 2 appear to the shepherds and they say, glory to God in the highest. Why? A Savior is born. Look at this glorious God who would send his own son into the world. All the glory of this God, the amazing goodness of this God, the generosity of this God. And after talking about the word that created the world and that nothing was made apart from this word that dwelled with God and was God, then it says the word became flesh. And what happened? We've seen his glory. The glory of God was revealed in him. Well, what about the glory of God in mountains and sea and stars? And Yeah, 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 all right. <laughs> Not take anything away. But the glory of God, in a way, never had been seen, was revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus was able to say, on the eve of his death, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be not killed or crucified, but what? Glorified. And then in the next verse, he says, I say, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's talking about his death. You see here, this is the unveiling of the glory of God. God is such a God that he will take upon himself flesh and he will suffer and die in the place of sinners. That's what God is like. That's what God is like. And later, Jesus, a few verses down, he says, now my soul is troubled. Kind of John's version of the garden. My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. You see, you will be glorified because I reflect you. I show forth what God is really like. You're a father who loves people this much. The world couldn't have imagined this. But it's been revealed to us in the person of Christ. And I think this is critical in our understanding of how we consciously exalt his name bringing honor to him by our reflecting of that love and our announcement of that love, making known this God by word and deed, exhibiting by our very lives who he is, how he acts, the goodness of his sacrificial love. There's the rich fulfillment of hallowed be thy name, glorify your name, Glorified in us, Lord, as we become your loving, sacrificial people for one another and this world. 
And so Jesus says in Matthew 5, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works, see your love, see your compassion, see your sacrifice. And what? Give glory to your father. See? The recognition that you people who live out this sacrificial love are shining forth the glory of God. And other people see that glory in you. Peter says the same thing. He's a good student of the Lord. Even in the midst of persecution, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they, even when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. The glory of God shining out from his people Paul prays for the Thessalonians saying that every resolve for good and the work of faith be fulfilled in you so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. 2 Thessalonians 1. So when we have this resolve for good and every work of, that's born in faith for one another and for others, then the Lord Jesus is glorified in us. And I'd like to drop this one on you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 about Titus and the other messengers that they are the glory of Christ. And brothers and sisters, you are the glory of Christ. You are the glory of Christ as you carry it by word and deed into this dark world. Why else would Isaiah say in Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth, a thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And you see the connection of If we hallow his name, then his kingdom expands and his will is done, right? One final word. There is a difficult passage in Romans 3 that says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means... We've all failed at giving this God glory. And if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ, you, like we, have failed at living a life to the glory of God. And in many ways, we all fail week after week. But here's the fascinating thing about this God, because we we sang holy, holy, holy. But did you notice in singing holy, 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 the, the hymn rightly mentions God is merciful? And he's perfect in love. An aspect of his holiness is, or or maybe this is the essence of his holiness, the sheer, pure goodness of God. That's why in Isaiah 6, when the cherubim are saying, holy, 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 and Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm sinful because He sees the sheer goodness and beauty of God and it contrasts himself. But then later, the coal is taken from the altar and his sin is forgiven. The same God whose goodness convicts us and contrasts with us 
is the holy God who draws us in to forgive us and to begin to make us like himself in his goodness and his beauty so that we then can reflect that glory to others. And so our, the song we, we actually sang as well had this phrase, holy, holy, but yet worthy is the land. Holy, holy, you're the love song we'll sing forever. That is our destiny. That's our, our great privilege as the people of God. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, how we thank you that we've been called into fellowship with you. Lord, you've called us out of the swamps and the dungeon and the barren wilderness of those who did not give you glory, did not delight in your magnificence. And you've called us, Lord, forgiven us of our sins through Jesus and called us into this rich fellowship of the glory of God forever. Oh, Lord, enable us, enable us by your grace to enjoy you and delight in you and to make you known. Even as you said in 1 Corinthians that we are a people brought out of darkness into light that we may declare the excellencies of our God. Oh, bless us to that end. Amen.